Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a gathering of people that want to know Jesus and love like Him. If you hear something today that you'd like to know more about, you should check out our other podcast, Rocky Unscripted, where we take a topic and through conversation and study, we go a little bit deeper. And right now, let's join today's message. Amen. Amen. Church, I want you to get to uh, John chapter 10. You may be sitting here at the Niwot campus. Good to have you. You may be sitting there at Fred or, or online. I want you to get to John chapter 10. We're going to continue our series in just a moment. Uh, Jesus, who is he? But I, I do want to just kind of just say one thing before we get going. There's a lot happening in the life of our church right now. A lot of good things. Man, there is some transition. I I don't know if you realize this today, but I was thinking about it this week. This is actually my last full message um, here at Rocky. And so um, I'm going to be here for the rest of this month, and I'll be here at the Niwot campus, obviously, today, then at Fred, and just back and forth for the next uh, few weeks. And, and I, I look forward to seeing everybody and just giving hugs. But this is my last actual message, which feels a little weird. Um, but there's a lot going on, and uh, I want you to be here um, this, this month, every single week, in person. Some of you are watching this online, maybe even later, and I want to encourage you every Sunday, be here. If you're online watching, um, 90% of our audience, online audience, actually lives in the area, there's some big Sundays coming up, and I want to encourage you to be in person if you can. Next week is going to be a big Sunday. We've talked a little bit about transition and how um, we're going to be, my family's going to be moving to Phoenix, Arizona, and the elders have been working with Matt Cody and interviewing him, our Frederick campus pastor, and having a conversation, and they're going to share a big update next week on that, and, and so you will want to be here. I'm super excited about that day, and I think you will be excited about it, so be here on the 10th, and then you may not realize it, but March 31st is Easter. Like it is creeping up on us with all the things that are happening in the life of our church. What I don't want us to miss is that Easter is like the biggest Sunday of the year. And so I want you to go online. I want you to check all of the times um, for each campus because our times on Sunday morning are actually different. And so you'll want to see those. We need some extra time during this, between the services to get everybody in and out. And so check what time the service starts. And then also there are some Saturday services available at one of our campuses. So check that out so that you know and you can invite people. But I just want to encourage you. Let's be here. Let's be together. Let's make it a great month. There's going to be a lot to celebrate this month. All right, John chapter 10. Jesus, who is he? In John chapter 10, Jesus talks about the idea of leadership. And we'll get there in just a moment. But I, I want to ask you a question. When you were growing up, I want you to think back when you were little, when you were young, like maybe it's like five, six, seven, eight, nine years old. What did you want to be when you grew up? Like, what was it? I mean, I mean, you all probably had different things. I remember there was a portion of my life that I was, you know, that young little boy. And I was like, I want to be a baseball player when I grew up. I talk a lot about basketball, but before there was basketball, there was baseball. Little League, man, I loved it. My dad coached my teams and I want to be a baseball player. And then it was a basketball player. And then there was like a, just a section for a little bit of, I want to be a police officer. And then I ended up becoming a pastor, right? And so there was later on in life, there was this dream of, hey, I, here's what I think God's calling me to do. And I dream about doing this. But when I was young, there were some outlandish dreams about being a professional athlete. And if you've got kids, like you've had these conversations before. Your parents probably had them with you. You've sat down with your kids and you're like, hey, you could be anything you want to be when you grow up. Like you remember saying that stuff. You said to him, you could be a doctor, you could be a pilot, you could be a police officer, you could be the president of the United States, you know, all that stuff. 
And we just kind of dream as parents that our kids would end up doing something bigger than us. And so when we ask that question, what do you want to be when you grow up? We're hoping for some big answers. I've got a 20-year-old. Her name's Grace. Talk a lot about my kids. And uh, Grace is at University of Wyoming. She's on a full-ride scholarship for basketball up there. She's got some big dreams and aspirations. She's studying psychology, wants to be a counselor someday. And I remember distinctly when she was about five years old, we were sitting, it was just the two of us. We were in our 2002 Ford Explorer. She was in the back seat in her booster seat. And we were just talking and laughing and having a good time driving. And all of a sudden I just asked the dad question. I was like, Grace, all right, if you could be anything when you grow up, what would you wanna be? And again, I've told this kid, hey, you could be anything, anything from a professional athlete to a teacher to the president of the United States, you could be anything if you put your mind to it. And she's just silent in the back seat. And I'm anticipating, I'm like, okay, what's this kid gonna say? And, and what's my daughter? You know, I'm trying to inspire her, inspire her to what's she actually gonna say? And she just, you can hear the wheels turning. And all of a sudden she says, dad, I got it. I'm like, all right, what is it? And she's like, dad, I think it'd be really cool to be the person who grills burgers at McDonald's. <laughs> and I realized really quickly that I better do a better job inspiring my kids. And so her aspirations have grown. It's actually Chick-fil-A now. And so... No, she's got big aspirations. She's got big goals. She's got big thoughts. But when, we, when we're kids, when you were a kid, when your kids were kids, like they dreamed about becoming something when they grew up. Here's the interesting thing. In Jesus' day, there were no boys and no girls that dreamed about what they were gonna be when they grew up. It might sound shocking to you, but little boys and girls did not dream about what they were gonna be. They did not work toward what they were gonna be, they inherited what they were going to be. You see, little girls inherited the occupation of their moms, which was actually at that time, culturally, it was just being a stay-at-home mom. For little boys, what they inherited was their father's occupation. So hence, Jesus was a what? He was a carpenter, why? Because Joseph was a carpenter. So before Jesus ever went into ministry, what Jesus did is he worked with his hands up until he was 30 years old and then he went into ministry. But he inherited the job of his father, Joseph. Now, interesting enough, if, if little Israelite boys were able to dream about what they were gonna be when they grew up, it would not have been the occupation of a shepherd. Now, the occupation of a shepherd was one of the most common occupations in Israel but it was kind of a bottom shelf occupation. Like for a shepherd, there were some drawbacks. If you were a shepherd, you worked with animals and that meant that you sometimes worked with blood and dead animals and those kind of things. And in the Old Testament law said you could not be around those things or you would become unclean, would have to go to the priest and go through rituals and actually be declared ritually clean. Now that may not be a lot, mean a lot to you, but for a shepherd, what they could not do is this on Sunday morning. For them, it would have been Saturday on the Sabbath, but they could not do this. They could not come worship. They could not come sing. And most importantly for them, they could not come sacrifice until they were ritually clean. Now they had to do the sacrifice to actually become clean, but for shepherds, it was like an everyday thing. And so what the shepherds did is they stayed away from the temple. Now shepherds also had to lead their sheep and there were no fences in the day. So they would lead their sheep through other people's property. And so when something went missing, when something was broken, when something bad happened in somebody's property, guess who got blamed? 
He was a shepherd, so they were considered unclean and they were considered untrustworthy. So did you know that an actual shepherd was not, their testimony was not admissible in court, even if they were an eyewitness? So when you talk about being a shepherd, you take the idea, the vocation, the idea of being a shepherd, and it was on the bottom shelf. Like no kid dreamed and was like, "Ah, I want to be a shepherd. But there was a whole lot of kids that inherited the job of being a shepherd. Interesting enough, in the New Testament and the Old Testament, the picture that God gives through Scripture is very different. Like the culture of the day, it was bottom shelf. But in Scripture, the way God speaks about and the way David speaks about in the Psalms and the way others speak about, the way Jesus spoke about shepherds, it was top shelf. Like think about this for a moment. Psalm 23 is one of the famous... Probably one of the most famous, if not the most famous psalm in the book. Psalm 23, the Lord is my what? My shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, the staff of a shepherd, the rod and the staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the midst of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. All of those, the anointing of oil, the shepherds would do that with their sheep, and they would put oil over their eyes and their nose to keep the flies away. I mean, it's just a picture of what a shepherd would actually do with his sheep. And it says, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, David speaks of God, and he calls him a good shepherd. He says that God is actually the ideal shepherd. It's like God is the top shelf of what a shepherd, or actually the word shepherd was synonymous in scripture with the word leader. He was saying God is the top shelf. He's the ideal shepherd, the ideal leader. Then you look and just take into context that did you know that most all of the great leaders that God used to lead the Israelites in the Old Testament, do you know what their occupation was? They were shepherds. I mean, think of David before he was a king and a warrior. What was he? He was a shepherd. The training ground for those two top shelf occupations was the bottom shelf, was being a shepherd. And it's not just David, it was Moses too. Moses led a million Israelites through the wilderness where he had previous led, previously led flocks of sheep for the previous four decades. I mean, God was just saying something here. There's something about this, this idea of a shepherd tending to his flock and the way they would do that that is synonymous with this idea of leadership. And before David, there was Moses. And before Moses, there was Jacob. And before Jacob, there was Abraham. I mean, it's like the who's who list of the forefathers of Israel. And when leaders are spoken about in Scripture... There's this interesting dynamic where it's talked about with the idea and the example of a shepherd. In scripture, it's top shelf. In culture at the time, it was bottom shelf. Why did God choose the idea of being a shepherd to be synonymous with the idea of being a good leader? 12 years ago, I was contacted by Alan Algram. 
Um, Alan Algram was the founding pastor of our church. He'd been here for 29 years. He let me know he was retiring and, and he was going to be stepping down. And he asked if I would step in and become the lead pastor here at Rocky. I went through the interview process. And, and what you have to understand is the context for me is that's the position that I had always wanted. You see, I wasn't a lead pastor before. This is my first time opportunity to be a lead pastor at Rocky and, or at any church. And I started off, I graduated from seminary and, and I went into student ministry. And I, I didn't actually want to be a student pastor. I, I love students. I had a great time, but I ate more pizza and did more all-nighters than any regular person should do in their lifetime. And, and said, you know what? I've loved this and I've loved working with students and help shape their identity. But what my ultimate goal is, is what I think God's calling me to be is, is a lead pastor. And so I got great experience because when you're a youth pastor, you do everything that a normal church does with all the different generations and ages and, and groups of people in your student ministry. So it was a great training ground. But then I went to become a small group pastor and I was a spiritual development person on staff at a church and, and I learned some things there and it was great, but it was always a stepping stone for me. I hate to say it that way, but it was a stepping stone for me to a different position wanting to be a lead pastor. So a couple years after that, I became a campus pastor. And I learned so much with being a campus pastor. But again, it was a stepping stone to another position that I was hoping to have to be a lead pastor. And then I left there and became an executive pastor and was over all the ministry of a church before I came here. And when I got that call, I was excited because it was the step that I was always hoping for into the position of being a lead pastor. I got here. I walked in the doors, we, we celebrated as a church, we celebrated Alan, I stepped into the role, and guys, I came into the role, and I was like, just tell you where my heart was inside, I was like, I, I made it. Like, I, I've got the position, and when I say I've got the position, honestly, in my immaturity, there was a little bit of this idea of I can't really truly be a leader until I've got the position. And I finally had the position of being the lead pastor here at the church, and and I kind of probably acted that way a little bit. Kind of puffed my chest out and I was a little over eager and definitely overconfident and a little too much arrogance. And I thought because I had the position that everybody would just follow and I would know what to do as a leader and everything would be great and this place would grow like crazy. And it didn't take very long until I started looking around and realizing not everybody's following what I'm trying to lead as a leader. And there were some hard times in that first year because I remember there were some staff that left. There were some people that just in, naturally in transitions that happened that are from the outside. I was an outside transition. Naturally, there's some attrition that happens and some people said, I'm just not up for that vision and where we're going. And so, so they left, but I was like, inside, I was like, why would you leave? Because I'm excited about this and you should be excited about this and you should follow me because I'm in the position of being lead pastor. You can see some problems with that right there, right? Alan Algram uh, will say, we've had some fun conversations over the years just looking back and Alan has said to me a few different times and sitting in a Mexican food restaurant is our usual place right there on Ken Pratt and we're sitting there and he said, you know, and those, we were reminiscing and he looked back and he said, you know, in that first year, I think you said the word leader more than any person I've ever heard in my life. He said, honestly, it was like you were so anticipating and so proud of and so wanting to be that you just kept saying this word leader. You didn't even say I'm your pastor. You said I'm the leader. Now, I didn't say it like that, but it would, it would come across. And what's really interesting, it was about the beginning of year two where I realized 
the leader isn't a position. You're not a leader because you actually have a position. You see, leadership is not a position. Leadership is a perspective. Leadership is a posture that we have that, that, it, that it just kind of flows out of us onto other people. And you can tell a good leader when it's not about the position, but it's actually about the people that they're trying to lead. And for me, I learned a really, really hard lesson in those first 12 months that just because I had a position as a leader in my mind did not mean that I was an actual leader that people were gonna follow. And I'd ask you the question, like what kind of leader are you? Because if you just really step back for a second and think about it, every single person in this room, every person at the Frederick campus, every person who's watching online, you have influence. Like if you have a child, you have influence. If, if you have a grandchild, you have influence. If you have someone that you're over in a position of leadership in a company or a business or someplace, if you have friendships, you have influence. You are a leader somewhere. But the big question is like, what kind of leader are you? And what kind of perspective do you have? What kind of posture do you have as you lead your children, as you lead with your spouse, as you lead with people in the community? What do other people look at you and say, is that person full and puffing out the chest of the position? Or does that person have a perspective that is looking at the people? It's really interesting. In scripture, God was called the good shepherd throughout the Old Testament. The ideal shepherd. God's leaders were the people who were the forefathers, the political leaders and religious leaders of Israel were called shepherds. They were the shepherds of the people. In John chapter, chapter 10, Jesus steps in and makes a bold statement. He makes seven statements throughout the book of John that are statements called I am statements. If you haven't heard this before, the book of John is, is centered around, is organized around seven I am statements and seven miracles that prove those I am statements. So when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, what was it right after he did? He fed the 5,000. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, Moses is standing there and saying, God, I've been tending sheep for 40 years. I haven't hung out with you a whole lot. Now you're telling me I have to go to Pharaoh and to go to the, the elders of Israel and tell them that you want to rescue them? He's like, I don't even know your name. What do you want me to tell them that your name is? And you know what God said? He said, you tell them I am. Moses like, I am what? <laughs> like, are you gonna finish the sentence? He said, no, because Jesus will finish the sentence in his lifetime with seven statements to say, I am the bread of life. And then he will prove it by feeding the 5,000. He will say in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life, and he will prove it by bringing Lazarus back from the dead. And in John chapter 10, he looks at the so-called shepherds of Israel, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and he makes a bold spiritual and political statement. He says, I am the good shepherd. There's a crowd just like this sitting there, they're all watching the Pharisees and teachers of the law who are at odds with Jesus. I mean, it's right in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles. John chapter seven through 10 covers the Feast of Tabernacles. In that time frame, they have put out an arrest warrant for Jesus' life. They've started an assassination plot. They've tried to catch him with a woman who was caught in adultery somewhere else and question him and get him to say the wrong thing. They have 
threatened the people that if you follow him, we will excommunicate you from the Jewish religion. And Jesus turns to them who had been considered by these people, the Jewish people, all their lives, that those are the people who are the experts in the law. They're the shepherds of Israel because remember, shepherds were synonymous with the idea of leaders. So they were the leaders or the shepherds of God's people. And Jesus looked at them boldly and said, I am the good shepherd. And the people were stuck. The crowd like this was stuck because on one hand, you've got the people who were the experts in the law that had been the shepherds of their parents and their grandparents and their forefathers, these people in these positions, the expert in the rules. Because that's what the Jewish religion was about, was the rules. Keep all 613 of them. If you don't, you're out. They were the experts in the rules. They were the shepherds. Jesus was saying, no, they're not good shepherds. I'm the good shepherd. I am, first of all, God. I am, second of all, better than, or as good as, or better than your forefathers. I'm the good shepherd. And the people had to choose. How do you choose? History or this new guy who comes in and doesn't seem to be about position. He doesn't even go hang out in the synagogue all the time. He, he hangs out with all kinds of people. He hangs out with the super religious and the super irreverent. He spends time with the poor and the rich. He seems to hang out with everyone. His teaching is incredible. It's, it has depth and it doesn't seem to be about just keeping the demands of the rules, but it actually is helpful. And he seems to care. Like which one is the good shepherd? And so Jesus settles the argument by talking about what a good shepherd is. He says and declares himself the good shepherd, but then he goes into a leadership conversation. And you've probably heard different people, different pastors teach on, on this idea of the good shepherd and the sheep. And what do they always focus on? How stupid the sheep are, right? Like, I mean, you just heard, you've probably heard sermon after sermon if you've been around church. If you haven't, you've just seen a sheep somewhere, a reel somewhere of something stupid a sheep has done. Like sheep are some of the dumbest animals in the world. I don't think Jesus, maybe that's why he chose sheep, because we get off track a lot. I don't think that's why Jesus chose to say this. I think what Jesus was saying is, let me show you what true leadership looks like. And Jesus gives three tests. He gives three ideas that even can be used today to say whether or not a person is a good shepherd over the flock that they lead or a good leader over the people that they care for. First test was this. The first test was the idea that a good shepherd knows his sheep. John chapter 10, verses one and two, here's what he said. It says, very truly I tell you Pharisees, he's talking to the Pharisees straight in the eye. This is a gutsy move. Very, uh, very truly I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. I mean, he's looking at these guys saying, you are illegitimate leaders. Like you just, you just hop over the wall. You're trying to hop over the wall. You're not the real shepherd that walks through the gate and is welcome, welcomed by the sheep. And then he says, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. You see, a good shepherd, part of knowing, part of loving the sheep 
is actually knowing the sheep. In verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. You see, the Pharisees and the teacher of the law were separate from the people. Where Jesus was with the people, the Pharisees were separate. They felt like there was almost like a caste system of, of there was the upper echelon of the religious people, and then they would get dirty and they would get unclean if they were around the low shelf, bottom shelf people. And so they didn't hang out with them. They demanded of them. The, the, the Pharisees were kind of like the leader. If you've ever worked with a leader that doesn't know what's going on on the front lines, and they stand up there and they're like, I can tell you what we need to do. But you're like, you have no idea what we need to do because you've never actually talked to somebody who's doing the work. They were separate from the people. And then Jesus comes along and Jesus was with the people. Like he was in the mud and the muck of their life and he was down and hanging out with the low bottom shelf group of people, the tax collectors and the prostitutes and he ate with them. He was called a drunkard, a drunkard and, a, and a glutton because he spent time with those people. And what Jesus was saying, hey, what I'm coming to do is actually to be with the people. I mean, it was evident all the way back from Gabriel's prophecy about Jesus coming. And he says he will be called what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not just with some of us, but with all of us. Jesus with, with every single person. He wanted to know them. He didn't demand it to them. He just wanted to know them. And whether you realize it or not, it's what Jesus wants to know of you. Jesus does not demand of you. There's no other religious system in the world that doesn't have demands of you. Like every other religious system is just, just like Judaism has always been where there's these laws and you're only good enough and acceptable enough if you work your way to it. Jesus is the only savior He's the only one who came and says, I'm not going to demand of you. I'm going to demand of me. The only thing I actually want from you is to know you and to have you just, you know me. There's no list of rules that you have to keep. All you have to do is one thing. You just have to believe in me and place your life with me. That's the only demand that Jesus has. You see, what Jesus demanded is that we actually open our lives up so he could know us. And what's really interesting, Luke chapter 12, verse 7, it says that God knows every hair on your head. Which I don't know if you find that ironic, me saying that. He knows how many hairs I used to have on my head. But what Luke was writing and saying was that he knows everything about you. He knows what you're doing today. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow. He knows what your occupation is. He knows what you're going to do in 10 years, five years, two years. He knows what you did in the past. He knows every fact about your life. God has head knowledge about you, but he has more than that. You see, the good shepherd is a good shepherd because he knows his sheep, and he doesn't just know about you. He knows what is inside of you. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6 says, Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. He doesn't just have head knowledge of you. He has heart knowledge of you. He says, you know, when I sit down and when I stand up, you know my thoughts. Even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. See, Jesus was saying a good shepherd knows his sheep. 
knows his sheep. Like for a sheep, do you understand that, that for a shepherd um, is interesting? They looked at their sheep. Every single sheep had a name. Every one of them. It was, it was more like pets. Like, I don't know if you've got a pet at home. You can see a picture of ours, Finley. Finley is an incredible, incredible dog. He's a golden retriever. This dog is the smartest dog you've ever seen. That's his owner. I, I love Finley to death, but it loves Maddie much more. <laughs> right? You see, hence the dog mom cup. You can talk to that dog. Like I can say, go find Maddie. She goes and finds Maddie. I can say, get out of the kitchen. She gets out of the kitchen. I can say, get in the kitchen. She gets in the kitchen. She can do anything you say. And she is a part of our family. What's interesting about shepherds is shepherds like they knew their sheep. When Jesus says in scripture, he says, you leave the nine, the shepherd left the 99 to find the one. He knew which one it was. It had a name. He knew every characteristic about it. And what God is saying is he knows you. He doesn't just have head knowledge about you, he has heart knowledge about you. He knows what you think, and more importantly, he knows what you feel. It's been really interesting in this time frame. Been here 11 years, getting ready to transition, and, and my family moving to Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm telling you, we got some feelings. Like, I've got some feelings. It's interesting. Like, five years ago, I started to count, go into counseling, and I actually realized I had feelings. <laughs> like, didn't know I had feelings. Guys, uh, Newsflash, there is this thing called feelings and all the women said, amen, right? Like I started to understand that there are feelings inside of there. And in this period of time, I'm telling you, there have been all kinds of feelings. There's been feelings of sadness. There's been feelings of grief, of just all the good things in the last 11 years. There's also been feelings of anticipation and maybe even some anxiety and fear of what's next. There's been feelings of, of excitement and anticipation also. And what's really interesting about these, these months and these, this, this weeks and, and, and month is, is the interesting thing of I'm feeling all those things. And one of the things that I've been sitting down and doing is just sitting out in the morning or sometime during the day, and I've just been getting them out. Like in the Psalms, David writes, and what David writes in the Psalms is he just shares with God. He shares his feelings. And what's really interesting is we understand that Psalm 139 says he knows everything about us. He has head knowledge and heart knowledge. He knows what we feel. He knows already. I'm not telling him anything he doesn't already know. But what's happened is that when I get in touch with those feelings and have been just sharing and saying, God, hey, I am anxious about this. Or God, I, I, am, I am grieving leaving this group of people that has been so good to our family for the last 11 years. God, I'm, I'm excited about this that, that is in the future. I'm excited about the future of this church. As I've been sharing those thoughts and those feelings with God, what it has done is it has opened up my heart and I've been able to hear his voice more clearly. In the moments where I'm saying, God, I'm anxious, he's been saying, I'm with you. In the moments I'm saying, I'm grieving, he's been saying, yes, you should grieve because it's been so good, but I've got something for you too, and I've got a leader for this place too. Every single feeling that I've had in the moments where I sit down and I begin to open up and share the feelings with God, what I've been able to do is to hear his voice. John chapter two, or John chapter 10, verses two through four, what Jesus says when he says, I'm the good shepherd, he says, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. 
When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his what? Because they know his what? They know his voice. And the question is like, do you know the shepherd's voice? And the way you begin to hear the shepherd's voice is when you begin to open up your heart to allow the shepherd to actually hear you. What's really interesting about Palestinian shepherds is they would call sheep by with their voice. Now, if you go to, if you go to Palestine, you go to Israel right now, you find a shepherd, here's the deal. If you go out and you call his sheep and like, come on, we'll not even look at you. The shepherd calls with his voice and immediately the sheep gather. And what does it say that he does? It says that he leads them with his voice. He knows everything about you. He knows every place you're in right now and he wants, you to, he wants to lead you through what you're going through. It gives a little bit different perspective of Psalm 23. Listen to it. When you think about the idea of the sheep know his voice and the shepherd leads them, he walks ahead of them. Do you know the Palestinian shepherds are the only shepherds in the world that don't drive their sheep? They walk in front and lead their sheep with their voice. Listen to Psalm 23 with that in mind. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads you to them. He leads you beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me with his voice. He says, here's where you need to go. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, do you realize what that's saying? That the shepherd actually leads us. And he might actually lead us through the valley because he's developing something in you to get you on the other side. And he knows what you're going to become after you go through that. It says he leads you, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because why? You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Man, my question to you is, do you know the shepherd's voice? Because you're listening to somebody's voice. There's some voice in this world, some person or social media or some influencer. There is some voice that you are listening to. And you've got to ask yourself the question, where is that voice leading me? Because the voice you listen to will determine where you will end up. And what Jesus offers us is through the valley, leading us through to green pastures, leading us besides quiet waters to restore our soul. What he offers us is to be the good shepherd that actually knows his sheep and knows what to lead you through and what to lead you out of. What do you need to be led out of right now? You see, the proof that Jesus was a good shepherd was the fact that Jesus knew his sheep and he knows you. The second, and I'll make these two quick, is the second is that the shepherd sacrifices for his sheep. It's interesting, the good shepherd sacrifices for his sheep. Verse nine says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and they will find pasture. Sheep pen, it was a low rock fence that would go around. Sheep would be inside of it. There was no gate. See, the story goes on. He doesn't just say he's the good shepherd. He says on the gate. And what the shepherd would do is he would lay in front of the entrance of the fence and he would be the gate. And what he was saying is you don't get to them except through my dead body. And the beauty of scripture was that the Pharisees were the ones who would sacrifice the sheep to keep their position. 
Jesus sacrificed his position to become the sacrifice for the sheep so that they could gain something. I mean, the cross is the proof that Jesus is the good shepherd because there's no other God that sacrificed himself or his life or came to even be with them, but then sacrifice himself on a cross to die for the misdeeds and the sins that we have committed. Like, I think Jesus proved that he was for the sheep. And when you step back and you look at this whole thing, you have to ask a question of, first of all, have you received that from Jesus? Like he doesn't demand like other religions do, be good enough to enter into the fold. He says, all you gotta do is trust him with your life, believe in him, place your faith in him, respond the way we see in the New Testament by believing and confessing and repenting and being baptized and being saved through our faith. If you haven't done that, man, I would love nothing more in my last three weeks just to see you make a decision for Christ and do that. Because you need a good shepherd that's not only knows you and knows where to lead you, but you need one who's for you. There's a lot of voices that want you to be for them. Pharisees wanted the people to be for them so they could keep their position. Jesus was for the people so he could give them a new position. And my question for you as a leader, a leader of your kids, a leader of people you work with, a leader of whoever, your, your spouse, a leadership. What kind of leader are you? Are you one that's for people and then one is, that is with people? Because that's the picture of leadership that Jesus gives. He gives one more really quickly. The last one he says in John chapter 10 is that a good shepherd improves the lives of his sheep. John chapter 10 verse 10 says, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Did you catch that? The good shepherd has good plans for his sheep. And if you've been listening to other voices, here's, here's what you probably find out is it works for a while, but then there are moments where it just doesn't work as well. You're listening to this person and it's, it's, it's some good advice, but you might get bored with that advice or that advice stops working. The good shepherd says he wants to give you abundant life. You know what the word abundant means in the Greek? The New Testament is written in originally in Greek. It means to exceed number, measure, rank, or need. It is over the above. It is more than necessary. And we don't have to wait for eternity for that. As soon as you accept Christ, you receive his spirit. And here's what he says the abundant life is. It is more of this. Galatians 5, and 23, the fruits of the spirit that lives in us, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. Jesus didn't say he's gonna lead you through perfect times. There will be valleys that he will lead you through. But he says, when we give our lives to him and we begin to live like him, he says the abundant life is more of this. When you begin to live like Jesus and the spirit works through you, there is more results, more, more fruit of love and joy and peace and forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, the measure of a good leader is a good leader or a good shepherd is with his people and knows them. The measure of a good shepherd is one who is for the people. They will sacrifice themselves for the people that they lead. 
The measure of a good shepherd is, is one who, who improves the lives of the sheep. Man, you wanna look at any other religion out there, there's no God that stands up like Jesus stands up against those three things. And he looked at the Pharisees and he looks at everything else and he says, I'm just letting you know, I'm the good shepherd and I wanna lead you to a good place. You gotta ask yourself, have you accepted him? But you also have to ask yourself more. You've gotta ask yourself and I've gotta ask myself, what kind of leader are we? Because if you're a mom or a dad, you've got kids and you ask them the question, what do you wanna be when you grow up? The statistics say that it's like 0.0002% that any of them are gonna grow up and be professional athletes or CEOs of huge companies. But 100% of them are gonna stand before Jesus Christ. And the best thing that you could do for them or your neighbors or the people that you lead is be the best follower of Jesus that you can be. Not the best leader. Because we've all figured out as we get older that the best leaders are followers first. And you gotta ask, which voice are you actually following? I look back over my last, 12, uh, last 11 years here. And I've gone from thinking that leadership was just a position that you're granted and realizing, no, that leadership is a perspective and it's a posture of following the one who is the real good shepherd. And there's some of you that say, hey, I thank you for leading us for the last 11 years. Here's the deal. Thank you for following. But just remember, he's the good shepherd. And if you're a dad or you're a mom or you're a husband or you're a wife or you're a leader in our community, that is the voice that you follow don't quit. You don't quit no matter what happens, no matter what changes. I'm telling you, this church is going to keep going and it's going to keep going with all of you and it's going to keep going with the leadership that we have because I'm so grateful and thankful that the leadership we have are not following me or anybody, they're following him. And I want to encourage us, that's the voice we follow and that's what teaches us to be the kind of leader or shepherd that's actually worth following. What kind of leader are you? And then what kind of shepherd are you following? If you're not following Jesus, I would love nothing more than to see you make that decision to make him your good shepherd. Let's pray. Father God, and we all sit in these seats and there's people watching online and Father, we just have experience after experience with, with life. And some of us have had good experiences with leaders and some of us have had negative. Father, if I think if we just kind of step back and look, if we just look at the experience that we could have and should have with you, it's what the good shepherd should look like. And so Father, I pray for the people who have not made the decision to place their faith in you. Even if they don't make that decision today, I pray that they'll start checking out your story. They'll, they'll start just looking at who you are. And Father, for those who have, God, I pray that we as parents, as, as husbands and wives, as leaders in our community, and just as followers of you, that we would ask ourselves what kind of shepherds that we are. And Father, I pray that we would be a great example for people in our community and in our families, that they will see us and they will be pointed to the good shepherd. So God, we love you. Thank you for Jesus and showing us what leadership and love look like. Help us to follow him well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.